0: we'll get started with a word of prayer. Pick up in Acts chapter 3 where we left off last Sunday. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. And now we ask Holy Spirit present among us, touch our hearts and open our eyes and our understanding miraculously by your power. Because this is the word of God sent from heaven to heal our hearts, to cleanse us, to keep us blessed on the safe and narrow path. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus name Amen a few months ago a real feel-good kind of story in the news uh, a homeless man out on the streets panhandling in Kansas City Missouri uh, got a lot more than he was asking for uh, into his donation cut fell among uh, some loose change a very expensive diamond ring now It seems that a woman, Sarah Darling is her name, a generous uh, gesture opened up her change purse and just dumped her loose change into the man's cup. The problem, of course, is that she had a rash on her hand and uh, for the time being, she took her ring off and put it for safekeeping in her change purse and then emptied her change purse into the homeless man's donation cup. And now the homeless man noticed, of course, the large diamond ring. He thought it might have been just a joke, so he went to a jeweler, and the jeweler offered him $4,000. So he said, no, thank you, it must be real, and she'll be back for it, so I'm going to keep it in my pocket. And a couple of days later, she realized what She had done and was looking for the man, and he was right where she found him. And she went up to him and asked if if he had found anything uh, uh, different in his donation cup uh, two days prior. And he reached into his pocket with a smile and pulled out the ring, and he said, I knew you'd be back. It's quite an expensive ring. And so the story, of course, went on Facebook. And then it went viral, and people donated $183,000. And so (laughs) the man has a home and a part-time job. Isn't that wonderful? Here's a guy who's down on his luck, as we like to say, asking for some spirit change. Uh, But he got quite a lot more than he was asking for just like the man in this morning's text. There was another beggar who got more than he was asking for, a guide down uh, and out. In this case, in Acts chapter 3, the first miracle of the born-again church, we'll see this morning, a paralyzed man at a busy intersection, just laid there. He couldn't even get there uh, himself without a little help, shaking his donation cup. But on this day, he's going to get a whole lot more than a few shekels. He's going to get a new life. Verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. To ask alms, alms just means charity of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John, so he recognizes them. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive some help, some alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a sight. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We'll pause there. We're going to take a look at this miracle. And it's a springboard, of course, for a message from the apostle Peter that will follow. We're going to look at both of those things. But the church had just been born again last chapter, and uh, God was doing some amazing signs and wonders. You remember last week, part of how he described life together as Christians, these uh, born-again people, uh, there were, was that God was doing amazing things, signs and wonders in their midst. And now, out of all of them, we get to see one up close and personal. So the Holy Spirit takes some time and intentionality to pick the one that really best symbolizes and best represents what was going on in the life of the new church. And so here we go with this beautiful miracle. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, just for a little context, the Holy Spirit has been filling hearts uh, for several weeks now, there on the, the steps of the temple. He was knitting new believers uh, to God in love uh, with God and one another. And uh, together they heard the gospel there, together they were cut to the heart, together they responded, together they repented, and together they came to life and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week we saw that there were four things about the church. They were a learning church. They were devoted to God's word and the teaching of God's word. They were a loving church, and that was really proof. 1 John chapter 3 says, we know that, that God has taken us from death to life when we love the family of God. It's just It was so evident. They were selling their stuff. Some of the Jews who were visiting from all over the world were, were there. Uh, they wanted to stay on. They wanted to hear God's word. They can't go home to different regions of the world where there was no Christian presence. And so the believers said, we're going to make this happen they started selling their fields and, and, and possessions and giving to those who were in need. Now, it, it, it wasn't an obligation. It wasn't an obligation. The right to private ownership is endorsed in the Old Testament and the New Testament, by the way. In the Old Testament, thou shalt not steal. What does that imply? It implies that somebody owns something that's not yours that you're not supposed to take. Amen? <laughs> In the New Testament, coming up in Acts chapter 5, Peter rebukes Ananias and Sapphira and says, excuse me, but didn't the field belong to you before you sold it? And when you sold it, weren't the proceeds at your own disposal to do as you pleased? Private ownership. But the deal with this church was, yeah, we can have private ownership. But when the Lord touches our hearts to be generous, uh, that private ownership had a uh, loose grip on stuff, what was important were people and the work of God. It was a worshiping church as well, and it was growing. I love how the Holy Spirit says, and the Lord was adding to their number daily. Those who were being saved, what a way to describe us. You could describe us a lot of different ways but he says he's adding to the church Christians or or those reconciled with God or those who are having eternal life but he picks a phrase to call us and the Lord was adding daily to the church those who were being saved that's who we are we're the rescued from hell and death you can give an eternal life that's something to think about that the Lord keeps calling us the saved, as opposed to what? The unsaved, you see. And so here we have, we've got this new, brand new spanking uh, church up and running. Now God is in the midst, and, and awe came upon every soul. That was part of what we heard about last time. And many miraculous things were happening now. So before us, the Holy Spirit prompts Luke, the human writer, to tell us all about one such incident. Now, the miracle takes place, and I have a couple slides that I'll be coming up just to show you where in the temple this happened. Uh, beneath the towering structures, uh, God provides the early church with an awesome building, just a brand, not a brand new building, but a wonderful building called the temple. And he took. Uh, They took full advantage of meeting there corporately. And in fact, it says, you can put the the first one on with the Solomon's porch and the beautiful gate. Yeah, Unfortunately, it looked a lot better on my screen. Uh, But you can see uh, the two structures that are going to be named here, Solomon's porch. Let me see. Oh, I love you guys. You're so patient. It's not there, but that's okay. That's okay. Neither, thank you. The police officer (laughs) hands it to me. (laughs) I love that. How do you use it? There we go. Ah, I got it. Temple Mount, 35 acres. So please don't let it fool you. All right. The 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 actual temple, holy of holy, the holy place here, court of Israel, the court of the women, the beautiful gate where he was laid. The porch is a, co- it, it should be called a po- colonnade. And, and what there are, there are four of them all along. The, these are here and here and here. There's four. There's 160 pillars, 37 and a half feet tall, all carved out of one piece. Each pillar was carved out of one slab of marble. Jesus did a lot. Now, you know, you're looking at the temple uh, where uh, Gabriel had a little conversation with Zechariah in that room. You see, Jesus was dedicated here. This is where uh, Joseph and Mary lost the Messiah for a few days. (laughs) This This is the place he was, schooling some of the rabbis. This is where Jesus walked along here and did a lot of the teaching. The reason it's called Solomon's portico, portico just means colonnade, a hallway supported with beams, uh, pillars rather, and covered. All right, so when you hear porch, it's not like our porch. It's just a hallway colonnade is the best way to do it. And the colonnade called Solomon's colonnade is because uh, from, the, from the, those particular pillars survived from the first temple. This is the second temple. So when you hear Solomon's colonnade, it's just that it's that side. And this is where the entrance, the money changers, and this is where uh, the church meets for several years. The Christian church will meet here. And, and that second slide ought to just show you where they were meeting. That's what was going on in all four inner walls are these colonnades. This one. We'll call Solomon's because it's on the south and on the east a little bit. Scholars say, and so this is the setting where, where after he gets healed at the beautiful gate, he's going to leap over to this general area where the church is assembled and where uh, all these people can hear the gospel. So that kind of gives you a setting there. Now, um, the miracle—it's awesome. So you want to turn on some lights, or There you go. Thank you, so that I can see my notes. But I do have these close by. <laughs> so uh, in this beautiful building, yes, a real building, and the church was meeting in a building, and, and they had a pastor, and they had an elder, and uh, God did a miracle right there and gives this lame man a new life. So verse 2 says, he was lame for, from birth. So this is a big deal, and Chapter Four is going to say he's over forty. So he's been in this temple and in this position for many years, and your text does say, and everybody recognized him because he's 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 about as permanent as the a fixture as one of the uh, pillars, and so he's been there for quite some time. Now, uh, you know how sad. Imagine the sorrow of mom and dad. The midwife cries out. Oh, joy, it's a boy, and there's happiness. Um, But the legs, the legs were not right. And it becomes more and more evident with the months passing that the baby can't stand, drags himself along in such a sad sight, never learns how to stand or to walk. And imagine the sorrow of the little boy. The job description of all little boys is to run and jump and climb and to be a menace to society. Amen? (laughs) And how they do that basically is with the legs and the feet. All he could do was just watch and wish. He had to be carried everywhere. There was never a day when he was not a burden to somebody. He couldn't walk. He couldn't work. Sheer misery. Just laid there. What a great place to be put. Come on. <laughs> right in front of that beautiful gate was called Beautiful Gate. There were, that's eight or nine entrances to the center temple area, into that temple. And one of them, the main one, the gold plated, bejeweled one called Beautiful, that's right where he wanted to be. Now how in the world could a good Jew going into the temple? to be with God, overlook somebody crying out, alms, alms, mercy, a little charity, a little charity before you, you go in or when you come out. Can you imagine somebody laying at the entrance of this church after a sermon, laying there with a sign and a cup, with crippled legs, just saying, oh, just a little mercy. Oh, come on, but. I don't even want to know what some of you are thinking, because some of you may be thinking, "Well, I want to," you know. Just translate that, however you thought it should have gone, you know. He makes more than I do, you know. Whatever, you know. I don't, I don't know how to answer that, but anyway, I think he would do quite well, is what I'm saying. It would be a smart place to at least to try. Amen. If, if, I, if that were me, I, w- I would be there. I would be over here. I would be, by, I would be right here. I'd be holding on sign while I was talking. All right, moving on. Um, so the Lord is near. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34 and verse 15. And the Lord is near. With his people. And that's where his people were. And so the Lord is with his people. Jesus said, when two or three of you get together, I'm there. So, the, so this is what's going to happen. That's the basis for the miracle. So Peter and John, two guys that really probably wouldn't be friends uh, apart from Jesus. John, the dreamer. He just wants to lay back and snuggle with Jesus and dream about heaven and love. Right? Peter. You know, I got that from the Last Supper, the scene. Peter just wants to chop people's heads off. You know, he wants to get it done. He wants to speak and put his foot in his mouth. And, you know, he's a doer and John is a thinker and a feeler. And, but because of the Holy Spirit knitting their hearts together, you see them a lot together now. They were on a boat together in the Sea of Galilee when the call came and that official day Uh, you'll remember the Lord was proving to Peter that he was worthy of the of his title as Lord and he said Peter I know you have fished all night and caught nothing but try try following me try doing life the way I suggest Uh, let's go out there put your net say right there flip it over there I know it's not the way you would do it but just follow me and he did and, and Jesus whistles, and the fish all go jumping into the net. <laughs> and the boat is sinking, and the net is ripping. And what does Peter say? Peter freaks out. He says, Lord, go away from me. You have no idea what kind of man I am. I'm sinful. Run run while you still can. Get away from me. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. I know all about you. You're going to be fishing for men. it's time to go fishing. Peter's got that in the back of his mind. He's looking around and he sees this little fish floating sideways, kind of, and he's wondering. And so you'll notice in verse three, the lame man recognizes Peter and John. Uh, You know, they're the talk of the temple right now I mean stuff's happening and so everybody knows who they are and and the the lame guy sees them recognize cries for help he expects something from them he's made the association by the way we know he has faith in Jesus he's a believer how do we know that he says later in the sermon this man by faith his faith in the name of Jesus and so he's a believer and uh, he recognizes him and, and notice Peter and John direct their gaze. There's very strong language in verse five, 4 and 5, I should say. They direct their gaze at him and then they say, hey, look at us. You know, the guy's just going alms, 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 spare for, you know, alms, alms. He's not paying attention. He's looking around and the, and the Lord is starting to stir a miracle. And, and first he directs them to look at at the beggar, and there's prayerful discernment going on. God, what do you, what's going on here? What do you want? Oh, there's electricity here. Is this, are we going to step out? Are we Are going to see something? And then he says, look at us, and he's, Peter's just buying time. Is this, is this going to be what I think is going to happen? You know, and, and there's that moment when the Holy Spirit directs him to tell us it just wasn't some arbitrary thing that Peter just sees somebody and goes, huh. I feel like healing somebody today, you know, in the name of Jesus. You know, it doesn't work that way. Jesus calls the shop and the spirit of Christ in him is setting this all up. And Peter sees and they connect and he hears kind of prepare the nets. Boy, we're going to reel this one in. He belongs to me. Peter, you know what to do. Go for it. And so Peter says in a paraphrase, sorry to say don't have much money today, but I do have something you may be interested in, in Jesus' name, get up and walk. Awesome. And he did. Now, Peter had been trained to know how to preach with the power of God and how God operated through his preaching. Luke chapter 9, the Lord sent them out. He learned how to minister the power of the gospel. Now, the lame had a prominent role in Jesus' ministry. And I think that's because one of the signs to verify that the Messiah had come was that he would heal the lame. In Isaiah 35, it says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. Now, you know, there's, this is interesting. Here's a believer who's been there for years. He's seen Jesus. Jesus has walked by him. He has not been healed by Jesus. Why? He's a believer. The apostles had taught there. Do you know in Matthew 21, it says, after Jesus overturned the money tables, the blind and, quote, the lame were brought to him, and he healed them. Now, how many lame guys were in the temple? Not that many. Not that many. He knows that Jesus healed his friends who were crippled. But the verse in Matthew 21 says, in the temple, the lame came to him. They hobbled. They used crutches. This guy just couldn't. You know, he got dropped off in the morning, and the guys left. And he was just, he was stuck. Wasn't he thinking, where's my miracle? I'm a believer. Why why is everybody the guy at the pool of Bethesda? What about the guys in all of these verses in Mark 9 and Luke 7 and 14 and 21? All these guys are jumping up. How about me? Where's my miracle? Where's my breakthrough? And God has a sovereign time for every one of his children. He has timing. It's about timing. You know, the verse in Isaiah 35 says, and in that day, the lame will leap. You know what? I looked around. Of all the lame people Jesus healed, none of them leaps except this guy. Now, the Lord passing him by and the Lord looking at him with a little smile. Your day's coming, but I need a miracle for the church and I need a leaper. (laughs) You're the leaper, but you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait your turn because I've got a plan that I'm working out. Why couldn't it have been earlier? You know, when Jesus went to the cross and died and was buried, uh, there went all his dreams of leaping. And the Lord's like, hey, (laughs) you know what? A little faith, God's timing. He knows where you're laying. He knows where you're sitting. He knows what you're longing to see in the breakthrough. And he's got a place and a time for all his children. Warren Wiersbe says, you know, the healing of the lame guy as the first miracle of the church, followed by an evangelical sermon that preaches how to get saved, and, and another 2,000 new Christians are born. Uh, he says that the layman was, was picked to highlight the, the, the truth and the symbol of the gospel, because he represents you and I, and in fact, every single person who receives the gospel in a spiritual sense. Here's what Warren Wiersbe said. It's easy to see in this man an illustration of what salvation is like. He was born lame, and all of us are born unable to walk in a pleasing way with God. Our father Adam had a fall and passed his lameness on to all his descendants. The man is poor, and so are we, helpless, bankrupt sinners who could never pay the tremendous debt that we owe the Lord the lame man like we once were was outside the temple close close enough but he'll never get in without a miracle outside fellowship with god and his people separated from god no matter how near the door they might be the wealthiest man in the world is really a spiritual beggar in the sight of god and so we see really the focus of God's miracles in the New Testament and the gospel times really starts to shift to eternal realities found in the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, remember when Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he said, listen, about the works that I do, you guys are gonna do even greater works. He was trying to say that it's one thing to pull somebody up out of a wheelchair and that person is just gonna die and be sat down in a wheelchair eventually. He's talking about not pulling a guy out of a wheelchair so much as pulling a guy out of the grave, out of eternal damnation. He says, greater things shall you do because I am the whole point of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and sending the spirit is eternal salvation. And, and all of Jesus' miracles all kind of point to the eternal realities of the gospel, the blind man. Uh, We open eyes that will never close in death with the gospel. We open up truth that sets a heart free. Uh, Deaf ears open up to hear what? The, The loving, saving voice of God. You see, it's not that God has stopped doing temporary miracles of healing and such. He does. We hear about them. But that's not the focus of the gospel the focus of the gospel. I mean, you raise somebody up from, as I said, from a sick bed, and they're not saved? What good was that? What does it it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The whole point now is going to shift to the eternal realities. Where's the power of God? I'll tell you where the power of God is. It was at the church that received the gospel at Corinth. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who live these kinds of lifestyles, who indulge in sexual sin, commit adultery, practice homosexuality, practice homosexuality, not struggle with orientation issues. Those who commit these as a lifestyle, deed, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, people who cheat others. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. You want to hear the power of God? Here we go. That is what some of you were, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Where is the power of God? You don't point to somebody jumping over a pew and acting crazy to say that's the power of God. You know what? If you want to jump over a pew and get all excited, that's your business and I don't see that as sinful. But I will tell you that the power of God isn't in a format of worship or even in a temporary healing. It's in a changed life. It's in so I just read this article about this leftist, mean, angry, ultra liberal university teacher woman who was a lesbian. And she just woke up one day, and in the Christianity Today article, she said, I left the bed of my lesbian lover and went to church. I heard the gospel, I opened my heart, and I got saved. Right away, everything was cleared to me. My heart was changed. And then a couple years later, she married a guy, and she has a whole family, she has a ministry. You wanna talk about the power of God? That's what happened in Corinth. That's exactly what happened, changed lives. That's the power of God. They were crippled, crippled by greed and selfishness and pride and sexual immorality. They were all lame. We're all lame without Christ, crippled by pornography and lust and greed. The lame guy is just not the lame guy at the beautiful gate. The lame guy is everybody without Jesus. And we, the church, our task to look and see is that hey is this something I need to engage right here is God trying to do something right here is this the one I reach out and bam help them up and help them acclimate into the new life do you remember in John 11 where Jesus raises up Lazarus from the dead and out he comes you know I love that I'm gonna see that in heaven I'm requesting that one uh, and he comes out, and he's all wrapped up, and Jesus says, unbind him, give him a hand. Ah, that's the task. We, we help them up and out. Or they come out, ooh, oh, 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 praise the Lord. Or we help them get situated here. Let me help you with that. Let me unravel all of this for you. That's our job to be looking around for folks that we can help who are lame like us. But our problem is, oh, we're so happy that we're leaping and we're using the legs. And well, look at me and I'm doing my little pirouettes around here. And there's another lame guy right under your feet. You're about to step on him. You know, how about former lame guy reaching out to another lame guy instead of getting all wrapped up in the fact that you can dance and run and climb. You don't say amen right now. I'm coming down into the audience. (laughs) All right, thank you. Let's talk about the message before I run out of time. So here's the message. We'll take it in two parts. This is what I hear the Holy Spirit saying. Now that I have your undivided attention of the guys leaping around. I'd like to tell you how this could happen to you. Here comes the message. While he clung to Peter and John, love it, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico colonnade called Solomon's, so to the southern and eastern walls. So when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, Why do you wonder at this? Why are you staring at us like we did this by our own piety means godliness or or, uh, we have made him walk because of who we are? Oh, come on. The God. I threw that in there. Sorry. 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Barabbas was his name, if you recall. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this were witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man Uh, perfect health in the presence of you all. And so let's talk about the message here. Uh, Two miracles I see. Well, first of all, the lame man, of course. But second of all, Peter's transformation. You know what? A few months prior to this, this guy couldn't give a testimony in front of a few people at a bonfire to save his life. And now look, it's not a few people. It's in the temple. It's a few thousand people. He's up speaking, why? Because there's been a change in his heart. And by the way, it's a great sign when an unbeliever comes to life out of their lameness and into spiritual health when they're found clinging to believers. I did that. I kind of had that quick, like, immediate bam. I walk in the bar. I'm unsaved and lost, not looking for God. Walk out of a bar, a born-again Christian, with nobody talking to me except the Holy Spirit. That happened to me. When I found Christians, I clung to them, like life preservers. There was a guy, Steve Savalich. I still know him. He's still my mentor. You've met him. He's spoken here. I clung to him for four years. He didn't sneeze without me being able to say, God bless you, right there in his presence. <laughs> it's a good sign when somebody gets saved and wants to cling. And, and you know what? We've got to let them cling. Got to let them cling. It's important. I figured it out. You got some answers. <laughs> I don't know how this happened to me. I don't even know what it all means. But I know you, you got something a little bit more than me. Gotta, and they cling. I like just like that. The message. First of all, people, unbelievers, are so quick. Whenever they see a miracle or they hear testimony, they look for anything else except giving God the credit. Because you know why? If we attribute what was just said or done to God, that will implicate them as rebels and out of relationship with them, with God rather. Do you see what I'm saying? For example, I like to use the tremendous church growth as evidence that there's a God Because you can't start with 20 people and no money and end up in 10 years with a thriving church with a staff of 13 with 700 people who call this place their home. So I like to talk about that. But you know what? They don't want to hear it. So my next door neighbor, I've told you this before, so irritating. (laughs) I say to him, yeah, the church, the church, you know, started with 20 people 10 years ago. No money, no help, 20 people. Bam, 700 people functioning church. It's just crazy. Praise God. He goes, you know what? Don't sell yourself short. You know what? People are looking for things. And you've worked hard. And that's what's brought it on. It's you must be a good speaker. And you're giving what? I, I, no, excuse me. No, I'm interrupting him. No, no. I'm a loser. <laughs> okay. I can't do anything. I can't even walk a straight line. I could get arrested for a DUI just because of the way I drive. I mean, without not being under the influence. I'm just just—I'm I'm not a hands-eye coordinated guy. I don't do stuff. I can't explain it. Oh, yes, we can, he says. Oh, yes, we can. You, you were at the right place at the right time, and you worked hard. I'm getting red in the face. And I go, you know what, I'm sorry I even brought up the miracle to you. Because you don't want to give God the glory. That's fine. And I walked away, you know. that It it doesn't matter what you tell a hard-hearted unbeliever. Do you remember, this is off the beaten path, do you remember in Luke 16, a guy goes to hell and a guy goes to heaven. And the guy in hell is negotiating with Father Abraham, who happens to be on the other side called Paradise. And he says, listen, I need a little water. Could you send uh, Lazarus, my my boy, go get me a drink of water so that I could dip my finger in the water and just touch my tongue and be relieved? He says, you know what? It doesn't work that way. Sorry, no can do. And then the guy says, well, at least have Lazarus be raised from the dead, go back to my father's house because I got five lame brothers who don't believe. But they'll believe if somebody goes from the dead. And Abraham says, oh no, that's where you're wrong. They will find an excuse because they have Moses, they have the Bible, they have creation, they have the Holy Spirit. They've decided, no. And not a man even raised from the dead in their sight Will do any good at all. That's how people are. So they look at Peter and John and they say, Oh, we know what, how, you, you did this. What kind of power? Where'd you get that? You must be living right, you know? And they're like tearing their clothes. No, no, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Lots about Jesus, God's son, uh, he's Jesus, he's the holy one, the righteous one, uh, sent by the God of Abraham. And then number three, really important thing about this gospel message that brings Christians to life, pretty important, it has conviction. So he says, hey, you're responsible, you knew, you saw, you preferred Barabbas than Jesus. Pilate wanted to let him go. But no, 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 you, you, stubborn you. So conviction. And then the good news, he's the author of life. Jesus, can you believe that calling somebody the author of life? Where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is not just a mere man? How about calling him the author of life? All life in that man, the source. Therefore, he couldn't stay dead. He's alive, and he's the reason the guy's leaping around. And if you'd like to leap around in your heart and be set free and born again to eternal life, then you need to be reconciled to God and repent of your sins. Let's finish up. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. So did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ, the anointed one, would suffer, he has fulfilled. Here's a call to action. Repent. Repent. Therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he would send, he may send the Christ appointed for you. A shout out to the second coming right there. That Christ would be sent, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses says... The Lord God, so now he goes, they're Jews. He goes to the Old Testament and he says, hey, listen to Moses. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet, like me, Moses speaking, from your brothers. Hmm. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul that doesn't listen to that prophet, Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, And those who came after him also said the same thing about these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, uh, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Okay, so we've seen the miracle and we've seen the message. And now at the end of the message is a means. To get right with God there's always something that we need to do even though it's not to be good enough it is to receive the gospel I've got a quick thing that I did you can hit the lights and I took the two sermons that are used to bring the church to life I see these two sermons in chapter two and chapter three as very important because without them none of us would be here So there are important messages that contain, I think, elements that every gospel presentation should have because this is what birthed the church, all right? And so both sermons, if you look at both of them side by side, which I've studied, I pulled from them something in common. Number one, they begin with clearing up a misconception. The first one was, uh, you guys think they're drunk? They're not drunk. Let me explain this. The second was, you think we did this? Oh, no, 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 let me explain this. So you you believe that evolution is a reality, or you believe this or that, or there's a misconception often is a nice springboard to bring the gospel. Number two, there's a general outline of God's plan using a lot of scripture. Both sermons cite scriptures. So, use a lot of scripture and give the basic outline. God created the world, uh, Adam and Eve fell, sin and death came because of that. God loved us and sent Jesus to, to, to you know, the, the, the basic Roman road, as we call it. Uh, number three, consider your audience because he knows who he's talking to, so he's addressing things that matter to them. He's quoting Moses. You know what, when we were in Israel, I was talking to an American Jewish tourist. I thought I said tortoise. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm telling him about Isaiah chapter 53. And he says, who's Isaiah? Oh yeah, all right. So now I know, I'm not talking to a Jew. I'm just talking to a young American kid. And so he started talking about trying to find his way in life. Ah, open door. So know your audience and direct the gospel in that direction. Then there's always a thorough explanation who Jesus is. I mean, he's our savior. And then in these messages is always some kind of personal responsibility for the death of Jesus. That you're culpable or responsible They have to feel that or they won't want to come and turn to Jesus. Six, the good news of God's love and Jesus' resurrection, of course, and a call to action that you have to do something. You have to believe and repent in order to be saved. And so he's talking to them. He brings up Moses. Moses talked about Jesus. And then he's really saying, God's honored you, Jews. Come on. He's cutting you some grace. He's saying, you didn't, you couldn't figure this all out. It was God's plan. Uh, He came to you first. Why don't you repent, turn back off of the road that you're on, and God will send times of refreshment. I love that verse. Sometimes it's the weather that makes us kind of, you know, kind of flat and stale. Sometimes it's our health. Sometimes it's just a dry season. Sometimes we've been victimized, just takes the life out of all of this. Now, a way to find refreshment in the Holy Spirit is always to turn away from what's wrong and stay close to Jesus and he sends this renewal and this life and blessing and that's how he closes but he always leaves it up to them after all of that list thank you for that and you can turn the lights on after all of that there's always a uh, something to do and so that and then these are things to keep in mind with the lame crippled people around you and your families, that these are necessary ingredients. And please, you know, if you could just not skip over the hard parts and just say you want to tell them all about the love. <laughs> if they don't feel the need to make a move, you can talk about love all day long. In fact, it's just going to make them feel like, well, he loves me, loves me, loves me, so I'm safe. No, 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 you, you need to feel a little bit of the offense of the gospel. Don't take that out. Jesus didn't. You know, it always concerns me when a Christian wants to uh, soften words that Jesus didn't want to soften, right? I mean, we don't need to be rude or unnecessarily hostile or obnoxious, amen? (laughs) But uh, the gospel is the gospel, and we see it so wonderfully displayed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving lame people like us. Thank you for giving us a hand preaching the word to us and softening our hearts that we might open, receive, and come to life. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.